I'm Michael Foster. And I am Nolan Tennant, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and Father Rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. So what are we talking about this time, Michael? In this episode, we're going to talk about why feminists and evangelical pastors are obsessed with who does the dishes. question that weighs heavy on the hearts of complementarian pastors and their female congregants comes up with surprising frequency. Uh, Whenever we wade into the waters of biblical sexuality, there it seems to be. Uh, I mean, both times that we requested questions for Q&A episodes, asked who should do the dishes. Uh, Thankfully, not the last time we asked, but the first two times. And our initial thought was like, really? Who cares? Yeah, so on further reflection, it all really started to make sense. At first, the question of who does the dishes is apparently a source of intense marital contention in many households, not in mine, but as we looked into it, we found lots of articles on it. Right, so earlier this year, for instance, Carolyn Kitchener in The Atlantic wrote this article called Doing the Dishes is the Worst, and she says, this is now an empirically proven fact. Dishwashing causes more relationship distress than any other household task. And she went on to prove her claim with a report from the Council of Contemporary Families, a nonprofit that studies family dynamics, and I'm quoting here suggests that the answer to that question can have significant impact on the health and longevity of a relationship. The study examined a variety of different household tasks, including shopping, laundry, and house cleaning, and found that for women in heterosexual relationships, it's more important to share the responsibility of doing the dishes than any other chore. Now note that dishwashing is the most important chore to share for women in heterosexual relationships, not men, women. And we're going to come back to that. Needless to say, this issue is coming up in many marriages. So it makes sense that guys are asking us the question. That's why it keeps coming up in the Q&As. And then we've also noticed, I think everyone has, that many pastors repeatedly call husbands to help with the housework. It's not that they're exhorting them to mow the lawn or fix a leaky faucet or take out the trash or anything like that. I'm sure some are, but what really stands out is that they consistently call for men to chip in with the traditionally feminine housework, especially doing the dishes. So it seems that men are asking us who should do the dishes because their wives care deeply about the issue and pastors are advocating for their wives' position. But why is this an issue? Why the dishes? Why do women and pastors care so much about who does this particular task? Well, as usual, we we don't think it's ultimately about the physical chore itself. It's about the symbolic meaning of dishwashing and the changing nature of the household. The physical, as you like to say, non, is merely imaging the spiritual. So as we started to consider this, I I dug in and decided I'd I'd read up on it and, and look at Uh, feminist treatment of doing the dishes. And in Dishes, a preamble to women's work by Elaine Bernstein Partnow, the editor of Feminism.com, she says, some men do the dishes some of the time. A few men do the dishes all the time. Most men never do the dishes. Symbolically, the message is very clear. Men, like women, make a mess but the mess is left for women to clean up. And Partnow is right that doing the dishes is symbolic. 
but she's wrong on about what they represent. So what, what do they represent, Non? I think that in the mind of the modern worm, dishes represent the drudgery of the household. There's something about the structure of reality that certain symbols just kind of come out in us. And doing the dishes is just this everyday chore that you have to do is connected to cooking. So it's connected to providing for your um, family in the way that women tend to provide for their families. And it represents the drudgery of that task. Yeah. And this comes across loud and clear in Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique, which is one of the most famous feminist books of all time. And in it, she writes, as she made the beds, shopped for groceries, matched slip cover material, ate peanut butter sandwiches with her children, chauffeured Cub Scouts and brownies, laid beside her husband at night. She was afraid to ask even of herself the silent question, is this all? And finally, there is the problem that has no name, a vague, undefined wish for something more than washing dishes, ironing, punishing and praising the children. What's funny about Frieden is it (laughs) seems, however, that she didn't know as much as she pretended to when it came to the monotony of of dishwashing. Uh, In interviews with Betty Frieden, uh, author Michelle Court, she writes, as her career took off, her marriage ran aground. After the divorce, ending more than 20 tumultuous years, Carl Frieden blasted his ex in an interview claiming she never washed 100 dishes during her 20 years of marriage. And that his new wife made chicken soup and shined his shoes. Betty laughed and replied, all I can say is, to each her own, I'm so mechanically inept, I can barely shine my own shoes. And so this makes perfect sense if the issue isn't really doing dishes, but rather what they symbolically represent. Frieden, like many women of her time, felt that she was being imprisoned in the home. Hence, she wrote extensively of trapped housewife syndrome. She believed careerism was the way to escape it. Doing dishes was one of the many links that kept her metaphorically chained to the household. Therefore, to toss off the burden of dishes was to be freed from the drudgery of the home and to seek self-actualization in a career. Which, you know, flies in the face of scripture. In Proverbs, God speaks of a wicked wife as one who is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. And the contrast to the godly wife really couldn't be starker. One builds her house while the other tears it down with her own hands. Uh, This is why Paul not only exhorts young women to love their husbands and children, but also to be workers at home in Titus 2.4. So now let me ask you then, what about the Proverbs 31 woman? Isn't she a careerist who has escaped the household? Only in the warped minds of feminists. She is, in fact, a diligent wife who has expanded the boundaries and the influence of her household. You see that her husband's heart trusts in her. She smiles at the future in verse 25. Um, careerism wasn't an option for women in the ancient Near East, unless you count whoring and witchcraft. The reason for this is not patriarchal oppression, but pre-industrialism, which is what we're going to talk about in a minute. Scripture is really unambiguous in commending the work of the home, and it calls women to joyfully give themselves to it. And yet we have this constant call from pastors and female theologians for men to do some dishes. Um, Good old Amy Bird, for instance, at the ironically named mortification of spin before she was uh, booted out for even being too feminist for them. I think she writes about recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood and 
the, this was the name of a book that she eventually published, but originally it was a post, which was mostly a meandering rant against John Piper for saying that the more women can arouse men by doing typically masculine things, the less they can count on receiving from men a sensitivity to typically feminine needs, end quote. Now, admittedly, Piper's wording in the larger section that she quotes, if you go and read it, it is a bit awkward, but it's kind of beside the point because what's really notable is the conclusion of Bird's post in which she rejects housework as tied up with femininity at all and instead advances what we call the myth of chore play. So she says, here are two men who have taken it upon themselves to give us more details about biblical femininity than scripture. But which is it? Are we to work out or be soft? Muscles burn calories. And I'm pretty sure that offering to do the dishes may be the best way to meet a wife's, quote, feminine needs. You know what they say, everyone wants to be a leader, but no one wants to do the dishes, end quote. Yeah, and it's not just, it's not just Amy Bird that's saying things like this. I mean, I've heard it over and over again. And there's, there's a lot like her, for example, we also had, this was, I can't remember a year, I guess a year and a half ago, we had a self-professed complementarian Christian musician who I believe is a member in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And she took it beyond uh, dishes. Her name's Jennifer Michelle Greenberg. She said, ladies, get you a man who keeps your gas tank full, does all the grocery shopping and the majority of the housework. So you have more time and energy to invest in his babies. I do not know how I survive without my Jason. So Bird and Greenberg, like freedom before them, desired to be freed from the burden of washing dishes and from everything they represent. Their greatest feminine need is really to be unshackled from the monotony of housework. What's the solution to this problem? Is there even a problem? There is a problem. It's a big time problem, but it's not with working in the home. The problem is that most pastors, and I think maybe especially complementarians, share Frieden's feminist view of the household itself and this is the subtext of their constant calls from the pulpit for husbands to do dishes and laundry and sweeping up. It's as if they think that the work of the home is especially cursed. And this is compounded by how supposedly blessed the alternative is. A woman must, quote, sacrifice and excite for the menial slavery of the home. So the best way that a husband can love such a wife, if that's true, is to bear her sacrificial burden by doing some dishes and so forth. It's the least he can do, seeing how he's out there living the soul-satisfying life of a careerist while she labors in miserable futility. She could be an astronaut, you know? You hear this a, a lot from guys like Chandler. I remember Chandler has this video where he talks about how men need to go to bed tired. Mm. And we agree, you should spend your effort through the day to get put in so you can get out, right? You want, you want to be productive. You want to invest your energy in. And you don't want to be a guy this, this lies around. But there's a sense when you listen that the guy was out just having a good old time when he was working in his career and he comes home and he doesn't deserve any rest at all or, it, it, or he doesn't have to recover. And, I mean, after all, your wife's been at home all day. The least you can do is to help her out as if you both aren't struggling against the curse, right? As if you both aren't struggling. And so there's this idea that there's something bad about the household and that the woman's stuck there, that the husband, he owes her because she's taken one for the team by staying at home. 
Right. The problem is the church is peddling a feminist view of the household. That's what's underneath this. The problem is that pastors keep telling men to step up to implement a fake solution to a fake problem. Although a husband chipping in can momentarily relieve the household's discontent, the real issue runs much deeper than most white knight alpha male of the group pulpiteers are willing to admit. It runs deep into something that's actually built into the foundation of the world and something that we've almost forgotten exists. This is figured into all our thinking that it's good to be a man big time. The, the idea of the household, it really connected a lot of dots for me. And the household's not an afterthought in God's design for human society and productivity. It's, it's absolutely central. So when God created mankind, he gave them a mandate to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And they were to achieve that through the household. But before we can explain this, we need to remind ourselves about how the fall complicates the creation mandate. And Bill Mauser, William Mauser, wrote an excellent book called The Story of uh, Sex in Scripture. So I highly recommend you go pick it up. If you can't get a physical copy, it, there's a Kindle version that's pretty good. And in it, he writes, in addition to the sentence of death, God curses the work of man and woman, that is, the productivity of their specific domains. Since Adam comes from the ground to work the ground, God curses the ground. It will be unproductive. Labor will be hard. His own body will sweat as he struggles to make a living from a rebellious earth, even as he journeys towards death to return to the dust from which he was made. Now, woman, she's not made directly from the earth or for the earth. She is made uh, from the man and for the man, for people. The curse affects her relationship uh, her relationships, I should say, in the family. First, her unique and central area of productivity, childbearing, is cursed with all sorts of pain and difficulty. And second, her created ability and her desire to help her husband is cursed with a contradictory desire to rule him rather than help him. So the curse creates quite the dilemma. By nature, each sex is driven to be fruitful in a way particular to their unique design. But the pursuit of that productivity always comes with the sting of the curse. Men want to cultivate a field, but that requires the hard work of overcoming thorns. Women want to cultivate a family, but that requires submission to a man and the pain of bearing children. And so the curse functions as an abiding chastisement to lead us to repentance. As we struggle to do what we're made to do, we're reminded that we live in a creation that is desperately in need of redemption. What in the world does this have to do with dishes, though? How is this connected? Well, the reality is that doing the dishes stings more for a woman than for a man. Given how our society is structured, dishes are in her natural domain, homemaking. And the housework seems more cursed to her because the curse itself cascades down to every part of the work of cultivating a family for which she was made. So just as men shirk their cursed work of provision through you know, porn and video games, so women shirk their cursed work of homemaking through careerism and complaining till their husbands do it. Which brings us back to the household because our society has vastly amplified these elements of the curse by gutting the household of its natural worth and desirability. The, the curse makes things futile and painful at the best of times, but in the modern day, Working the home is not just futile and painful because of the curse, but because of how we have stripped the home of its natural function and with it, its natural appeal. 
because before the Industrial Revolution, across all history and all cultures, the home was inseparable from the household. This is why the Hebrew word Beth means both a physical structure and a familial society. The house was synonymous with a culture's central and most fundamental unit of production and identity. Actually, I just read this week in the Directory of Worship, chapter 49, uh, section 4, says that. It says that the household, the family, is the most basic building block of society right there the PCA is BCO. But it's the most fundamental unit of production and identity. Men and women work alongside each other to produce what they needed to live. And as they did so, they came to know who they were and what their place was in the world. The whole family was naturally bound by this work into a basic society in which each member participated for the greater good and in turn found their principal meaning. This creational household, the household as God made it to be, is existential. The existence of every member at their deepest level is constituted in their house before all else. Right. So in the basic society of the household, husband and wife both worked according to their natural abilities. And the men naturally did heavier labor because that's how they're built. And that's going to mostly occur outside the home. The women work closer to the home and care for the children. But both sexes were laboring much harder than we do today because their work and cooperation was essential to their continued production and their, what we like to call one togetherness, and thus to their survival. You know, actually, let me say, Chris Wiley says this, that Xenophon, in his guide on household economics, he says that without his wife, he would die. In a modern person reads that through romantic lens, but he literally meant that without my wife, I would die, that their survival truly were, was intertwined. And the Industrial Revolution just plowed into that. It, it took out the creational model like a steam train. Within a generation or two, it had separated production from the home by consolidating it and then homogenizing it in factories. So at first, entire families commuted to these factories to work. I mean, what else would you do when the household itself is full production? The family was involved. If the place of production moves, the whole household moves with it. But it doesn't take a very long time for mindsets to change. You know, one generation is really all it takes, as we've seen in recent history with all kinds of things. So the creational model is that the home is inseparable from the household. And the natural place of the household is the house. And so when you move the location of production somewhere else, in principle, you separate the household from useful work. Even if it takes a little while for the households themselves to catch up in practice, that's what you've done. And they did catch up. So in orthodoxy, G.K. Chesterton wrote quite famously, tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. Except when those who merely happen to be walking about have been sufficiently separated from those who came before, as they will be when you break up their very households, they lose their one togetherness with them. And with that, they lose any sense of obligation to their practices. So tradition becomes a thing for young men to cast off as proof that they're bold, rather than as a thing to submit to as proof that they honor their parents. And so by relocating production, 
the Industrial Revolution broke apart households and ensured that the casting off of much of the traditional and natural and created one-togetherness that had previously gone along with them was inevitable. A family going to work in a factory rapidly evolved into the man going to work and the woman staying at home. And this brings us to the 1950s housewife, which if you get into conversations about sexuality, feminism, egalitarianism, complementarianism, patriarchalism, this 1950s housewife comes up. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out the long-term effects of this division on society. Households became increasingly less productive. They became a place of service, right? A place of consumption, and therefore increasingly less existentially important. And a vicious cycle was set up to such an extent that the mere survival of households today is a testament to how deeply scored the pattern is into creation. But we have lost the very idea of an existential household, a basic society in which all the members share a foundational identity in productive pursuits of mutual well-being. We have replaced it with a sentimental household, less a society than a location where blood relatives gather to sleep and have their emotional needs met. We've swapped a deep shared identity established through production for a shallow shared experience established through consumption, which gets us back to our central question. There's much we could say about the household itself, but we want to focus very tightly in this episode and the issue of consumption versus production, experience versus identity is central to the question of who does the dishes. In a modern household, the members all consume, often each other, starting with the marriage itself, which arises from nothing but romantic feelings. Modern households seldom survive a generation because everything they need is actually outside the house. So the food comes from the supermarket, money comes from the workplace, entertainment comes from the internet, as does social fulfillment. You're you're going somewhere, be outside the home. The home's not a place of hospitality. And because of this, the modern house is a place many women would not want to stay all day. Children themselves are a liability rather than an asset. They cost a great deal, but contribute nothing to the house except the ephemeral benefit of emotional fulfillment. Lest you think we're mocking the emotionally fulfilling nature of children, understand this. Emotional fulfillment itself only happens when you're doing something together that matters. The thing God designed mothers and fathers and children to find emotionally fulfilling is building a house. But modern mothers don't build houses. Their emotional fulfillment has come from quality time, me time, which basically means time doing something fun together because all the other time is taken up either by someone else doing the work of mothering and fathering for them or they themselves doing the work of building a house for someone else. And that's not even a real house. It's a corporation. Right. Since a great deal of the work that matters is now happening outside the home, it's really not surprising that a woman feels trapped inside the home. She feels like a servant left behind to look after her husband's lodgings while he does the productive work that they were both made for. She feels like a nanny left behind to entertain her husband's children while he gets to feel useful and recognized by others. So her work feels menial and inessential. I mean, of course it does, because it is. Since it isn't fulfilling the purpose that she was made for, in a significant sense, it doesn't matter. 
She's doing stuff that doesn't matter. No wonder she feels bad about it. The picture of the 1950s housewife, you know, bored to death and swimming in meaninglessness may be exaggerated. And it certainly is exaggerated. It's an item on our drinking game, (laughs) but it's also not altogether false. The household has gone from being a strong, weighty thing to a weak, wispy thing. So it's become a place from which to escape for more glorious things, a place that smothers your identity rather than creating your identity, a a source of death by consumption rather than life by production. Life is happening out there with the men who wants to be cooped up at home. This doesn't mean that that feminism is right. The feminist mindset has existed since long before the Industrial Revolution in the form of foolish, brassy women who will not stay at home, who tear down their houses with their own hands. But it does mean that in this case, they have a point. So who does the dishes, Nan? If it isn't obvious by now, our answer is that you're asking the wrong question. This should be every pastor's answer too. Stop asking questions that presuppose this emaciated, unbiblical household and start asking how to build a healthy, God-glorifying household. What is the use of complaining about the dishes or demanding that people step up to do their, sorry, men step up to do their fair share when the house itself is broken down and crumbling? You know, stop trying to make the, the problem of feminists' point seem less by making out like it's not so bad, provided that the man just does more. Instead, recognize that there is a real problem and that trying to fix it by properly dividing the housework is like trying to keep the Titanic afloat by speeding up and correcting course or being slowed down by the iceberg. If you're a pastor, we implore you to stop pouring concrete into the unbiblical sentimental household model by teaching men to step up. No man should be above doing housework. I do the dishes. I pack my dishwasher every night. But demanding that he do it is just preserving a century of heteropraxy. You should rather be preaching the glorious biblical doctrine of the natural household itself, the existential Beth, Hebrew word, in which men and women and children all find what is in Hebrew called shalom, satisfaction and meaning, life and purpose, inclusion and ownership and wholeness as they work together for the glory of God. That is the only thing that can resolve the feelings of alienation that drive the contention around housework in the first place. And and we're not advocating by any means for a return to pre-industrialism, even in cases where households can become productive through traditional occupations like farming or blacksmithing. Technology is here to stay. You cannot compete without it, and neither should any sane person want to. Rather, we are advocating for a return to production in the household rather than mere consumption, a return to self-consciously treating the house as a place of mission rather than a place of recreation, as an organ of dominion rather than an abstract institution of emotionalism. We did a podcast on ways you could make your house productive little starting places, and we know it's easier said than done. We ourselves are only starting to work out how to reform our houses. What does mission look like? How do we become productive? How can we more closely involve our wives and children in our work? How can we effectively create and cast a vision for everyone to fall? Those are all questions uh, we have more to say on. and, And as we work through it personally, 
and come up with good biblical practical answers, we'll report it back to you. Until then, be watchful for deeply entrenched practices that are reinforcing an unbiblical doctrine of household. Stand firm against scorn and ridicule for seeking to reform your house. Act like men and be strong because strength is power and power is work done over time and work done over time is production. And let it all be done in love because love is one togetherness and that's the foundation and purpose of a meaningful house.